Welcome to For the Love of Dogs with Dennis Wolf. Well, it's Friday, it's Friday, it's Friday. I know I say that every week, but conveniently, our show broadcasts on Fridays. Well, we have a lot of really wonderful things. Um, There's some crazy things going on, too, with some people out there who, uh, for the lack of a better way to say it, are are having issues because of different things that are the environment. One of the things, obviously, we have a lot of right now is allergies. We're going to talk about some dog allergies and things that can happen because if your dog eats dirt, if your dog tries to eat things that have dirt on them, if your dog is the cleanest dog in the world and licks his paws, he's got dirt on him. And a lot of times what ends up happening is dogs will have not necessarily a parasite, but just dirt. And dirt is okay, and it's great if you, you know, are exposed to it um, for a while. But if it's something that's new to you, that's novel. Let's say, for instance, you move or you're on vacation, which happens a lot of times. People don't realize you go to a new place and your dog is exposed to new pollens and new allergens, maybe bugs, maybe all these different things that the dog may be exposed to. So you give your dog vaccinations based on where you live. You have to also think about where you're going. So some people travel down the shore. There are a lot of mayflies and different kinds of little bugs and things. And even in the water and in stagnant water and murky or, um, you know, not necessarily seawater, but in the combination of where those two come together um, or in the freshwater areas. And sometimes you see little things crawling around in there. Well, imagine if that's what you see. Imagine what there must be that you don't see. So be careful with your dog. One of the things I, I tell everybody to do is have a little box that you set up or like almost like a little emergency kit. You should have things in it like diatomaceous earth. You should have things in it like a tweezer or a tick comb. You should have definitely some activated charcoal, uh, different things that, would be helpful if your dog is exposed to something. For instance, if your dog eats something and, uh, you know, and again, check with your veterinarian. I'm not a veterinarian. My daughter is, but uh, I am not a veterinarian. Uh, But I joke, I always joke, I play one on TV. I don't. But um, the problem is that people on the Internet are constantly giving advice. I'm giving you general things that are going to be helpful to you. Check everything out with your vet. Please don't go on the internet or on social media and say, oh, what does this look like? Just go to your vet. Your veterinarian is trained for four years, plus many of them, like my daughter, went for other specialties or other um, internships and residencies even. So ask your veterinarian. If you don't like your veterinarian, find a different veterinarian. But ask someone who's put their life into learning about different things. Um, So these are general things, and you can ask your veterinarian. But things like, uh, for instance, crazy thing to have, but it's very important, Benadryl. If you have prednisone that you've been prescribed before, or if you talk to your veterinarian, if your dog tends to get potentially a lot of reactions to bug bites or things like that, there are things like prednisone that are really, really handy. Even if you only have, you know, one or two pills, um, you know, from whatever, from a prior... uh, you know, medication, although you should generally, when the medication is prescribed to you or your dog, you should take it until it is all completely gone. 
but sometimes people have one or two extra pills. Prednisone and Benadryl are really super helpful. Again, check with your veterinarian. But for most dogs, that can get you out of the woods, so to speak, if you wound up having your dog having some kind of an allergic reaction. Now, I have these Rhodesian Ridgebacks. They are the most amazing dogs in the world. However, the fact that they tend to get a fair number of uh, itching and allergies and hot spots, um, you know, not so much from the actual, you know, itching, allergies, hot spots, but they actually get things from bug bites and from contact issues like, let's say, some kind of a plant that might be toxic. Um, and activated charcoal is a great thing. Again, check with your veterinarian, but these are things you should go over with your veterinarian before you have a problem. So next time you go in for your annual or semi-annual visit, it's a great idea to come in with a bunch of questions and say, you know, I heard on the radio, you know, this Dennis Wolf for the love of dog and from shelter dog to service dog, you know, she was mentioning some of the things and she said that we should discuss some of these things with our veterinarian to be prepared in case there's a problem. Other things that are really helpful to have is either an ACE bandage, not the ones that have the spiky things, but they have great new ACE bandage wraps that have Velcro on them. If your dog uh, gets hurt or if your dog is chewing on its paw, things like that, um, again, check with your vet. But those are things that are really handy, but you do have to get uh, help in learning how to wrap because you don't want to put too much pressure on it. But that's a handy thing to have. If your dog cuts his paw, like I uh, had somebody a couple of weeks ago, their dog was running around on a tennis court. And as soon as I said, I said, please tell me it was a grass tennis court. They said, no. I said, well, your dog stopped, but his pad kept going. Or the dog's pad stopped, the dog kept going. And they can tear off their, their bottom of their pads pretty easily, remarkably, on things like tennis courts. So be really careful because it depends on the surface of what's on the tennis court as to whether or not you are going to have a dog who's got bloody paws or he's okay. So be really careful about things like that. that people just think about when you're playing tennis and how you stop immediately. There isn't any slide. You don't slide. You just stop. Well, the dog, because of the way the pad is made, and it's almost like taking the skin of your hand on the palm of your hand off, but your hand is still sliding a little and it can tear that off. And I've had, unfortunately, uh, many patients who have that happen. I actually had my Westminster winner, um, Rambo's Montana Willow, champion Rambo's Montana Willow, who was Wyatt's mother when she was younger, did that. And it was on a tennis court. Um, and this is how I learned this. This was uh, 20 some odd years ago. So it's really, really important to kind of be prepared ahead of time. Uh, other things that you can do is uh, there's something called caraphate, which is for nausea, and it's very handy. It's like doggy Pepto-Bismol. You can check with your veterinarian to see if Pepto-Bismol itself is okay for your dog, but caraphate is a wonderful thing to have in an emergency uh, because it kind of coats the stomach. Um, and then ask if there's anything for nausea. Some veterinarians, especially if you're pretty knowledgeable about dogs, some of them will help you out a little bit and, you know, do that. Others will say, no, if you have that problem, just, you know, call me. But the problem is it's 3 in the morning and your dog just got stung by some kind of weird bug and your dog's face is swelling and you're in the middle of, I don't know, Colorado, 
Virginia somewhere, West Virginia, and your dog starts swelling up. Now, yes, you don't want to just medicate your dog, but if you call poison control, which is remarkably expensive, but if you do call poison control or you can reach out to your veterinarian, they may say to you, do you have any? And they're going to ask you. And it would be nice for you to say, yeah, I do. Now, I'm not advocating for anybody to prescribe medications, and I'm not prescribing medications for any of you or your dogs. But what I'm telling you is if that situation happens where you do have an issue, it's great to have kind of a little bit of a, you know, first aid kit for your dog. And other things, a little bit of triple antibiotic ointment, make sure your dog's not allergic to it, but some of the people ones can be used, or you can buy a tube from your veterinarian and just have that in case the dog does get a cut or scrape or anything, at least to put it on, um, you know, and again, be careful, you know, you want to call your vet, but I have that happen all the time where I'll call one of my vets, and obviously I know quite a bit, <laughs> but uh, I'll even, you know, generally if it's something that's not plain vanilla, I'll call my vet and my vet will say, give them, you know, give them a 375 metronidazole. Okay, great, thanks. And at least I have that, especially since I found, and I probably you as well, I found that most emergencies happen at the most inopportune times. It doesn't happen, you know, Tuesday at 10 o'clock in the morning. It happens Saturday night at midnight, or it happens on a Sunday in the middle of the night. It happens on, you know, Sunday night, and then you got to wait for the vet the next day, and then it's a big, you know, big issue. Um, but I also want everybody to realize, too, I think sometimes people, some people are too quick to go to the vet, where you're like, oh, my gosh, he didn't eat his breakfast. Well, didn't eat his breakfast could be because it's 95 degrees out and he was running and playing and he's not hungry and he's just smart that he's not going to eat and get himself sick. It can be from stress. It can be from a behavioral issue. He could be a little nauseous. He might need to eat grass. He might need, you know, a Pepsi AC or something to calm his belly down. But you have to give your vet a call so that your vet can tell you what to do and how and how much. But it's, again, especially if you're on vacation, and let's say you're camping, which was this one lady. She said, I can't get in touch with my vet. I don't know what to do. My dog's, you know, I think it was the, the upper arm is swollen up. It's huge. What do I do? And I said, well, can you get to a vet? And she said, no. And um, I was able to hook her up to somebody. And um, I had told her, you know, do you have this or that? And, you know, she did have the Benadryl. And she had a prednisone for her own, uh, for her own use. Um, and you know, this is what she was able to do. So she had that. So when this veterinarian I know who was in that state, thankfully, uh, was able to give us some general information, you can also, sometimes you can go online. It's great nowadays because you can actually go online and you can see these things I'm telling you and you'll see that, oh, wow, look, you know, this is something that could help. But especially like activated charcoal, if you think your dog might have ingested any poison, activated charcoal is great because it can actually help to kind of bind to the poison so less of the poison gets into your dog. And don't go crazy on that either. And again, check with your veterinarian. But in a pinch, when you, you know, don't have your vet and you're in the middle of nowhere and you can't see where you are, you don't know, at least you have a little bit of help there and you'll have some of the medications with you, same way as you would have Band-Aids and maybe, 
you know, something for yourself, some kind of triple antibiotic and maybe an ACE bandage, just have a little pack for your dog as well. And some of the other things that are great to have is if you can bring a packet of some kind of a tasty dog food um, or a can or a packet, they have little packets also, um, that if you do have to give a pill to the dog, that your dog will eat it. Um, and if you don't know how to do that and you don't know how to, what we call, pill your dog, um, you're probably best off to ask your veterinarian how to do that when you don't have to do it because this way the dog will be used to it. And it's really not very difficult. It's just teaching your dog that when you come toward his mouth or towards his face and you're going to open his mouth, that he's comfortable with it. Um, I do kind of cool thing with my puppies. I will take a piece of when they're, when they're little, I start and I'll take like a little piece or a little on my, the end of my finger, a little bit of uh, canned dog food or something really tasty. I open their mouth and I stick my finger onto their tongue or, you know, around carefully. And at first they're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Then they start licking. They go, oh, wait a minute. That's really good. So they get used to, oh, you're coming. You're going to put something in my mouth. And this way, as they get older, they don't get scared of it. And you're not going to have a wrestling match with your dog to try to get a pill into them. So that's really important, even though, you know, you think, Dennis, how is this related to behavior? Oh, it's very much behavior. Your dog might fight you, and now you can't get those medications in. Or if you have a dog with special needs or a weak jaw or a tiny dog, there are little pills, uh, like it's almost like a syringe, you put the pill in. You have to learn how not to stick that through your dog's soft palate. So you got to learn how to do that. And it's always best to do that and learn how to do it when you don't have the emergency. Because when you have the emergency, everything moves very quickly. So when if I said to you, guys, oh, okay, you know, get your dog used to this and give him, instead of giving him a pill, take his little piece of cheese and just stick it into his mouth a little bit. And then the next time, stick it a little further into his mouth. Don't choke your dog, please. And then, you know, take something else and just swoosh it on there. So he gets used to, with your hands coming toward him or her, that it's a good thing. So now when you stick a pill into that, the dog is like, oh, I'm getting food. There's so many things. And, yes, that's behavioral because I get a lot of people. And, I mean, I've had dogs for here for boarding train. And the reason the dog's here for, like, nine days or eight days is because they can't get the pills in the dog, but I can get the pills into the dog. And the dog doesn't fight me because I teach him, hey, when I bring my hands towards your mouth, there's something good happening. But for them, they're like, oh, my God, what happens if I stick it down the wrong pipe? And I'm like, you can't. Dog's throats, you, you can't put it down the wrong pipe. You're not, you're not intubating him. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go into his lungs. Just make sure that, you know, you're, you're careful. But if that's, all with learning how to do it because if you learn how to do it and then you understand what to do and your dog is used to it, it's, it's pretty easy. Really, it's pretty easy. So, you know, no worries on that. You know, think about how, you know, nervous or anxious you might get if you're having to do it in an emergency. Okay, so let's go on to the next thing, which is insect bites, and other allergic reactions. A great thing, again, to have is, you know, Benadryl and prednisone. Again, check with your veterinarian. 
but your veterinarian will probably recommend that you have that, may even give you one or two prednisone pills. Benadryl you can get over the counter. Um, Typically, and again, check with your veterinarian. For my dogs and for most of the dogs I deal with, it's about 25 milligrams uh, for each roughly 25 pounds. So it's like one mg per kg, they say, one milligram per, per kilogram or a half or, or two, they typically will say mg per kg for milligrams per kilogram. So if you have, let's say a kilogram is 2.2 pounds. So if you have a dog who is 100 pounds, he may need four Benadryls in, in a pinch. Now, you're not giving him that constantly, but that's a pretty innocuous thing, and it can help in an emergency. Now, when do you not use it? Again, check with your veterinarian. Everybody's got to go once or twice a year to see your veterinarian. Put it on your list. You don't have to do it today, but this could save your dog's life, literally. So uh, when you wouldn't do it is if the dog's throat is closing up because you don't want to put something into a, a throat that's already closing up. But by that point, you know, you got to do something. Um, the other kind of interesting thing that you might want to have is a splint or something that, like they have in, uh, you know, the drugstore pharmacies. It's for people, but they have, it's a metal, like a aluminum maybe, a splint with foam on it. So if your dog has a problem and he perhaps, you know, injures his leg or, or God forbid, breaks his leg, you have that, and it's great because that will help keep it still. But again, learn proper bandaging techniques. I've had first aid classes and things like that since I was eight years old. I've wrapped, I don't even know how many, thousands and thousands and thousands of times because I wrap my horse's legs with polo wraps. So anybody who knows horses probably knows what polo wraps are, and they're to protect the leg. We also use sports medicine boots. But the polo wraps are like an ace bandage, but thick fleece for horses so that they don't clip themselves or it's not so much for bowing a tendon, although if you put them on properly, they can help that. It's just supportive for the legs, gives them a little bit of support uh, for their thin legs. Obviously, horses are big animals with thin legs, kind of like whippets. They have very tiny little bones, but they're, you know, bigger body and horses can be pretty big. So uh, if I had to say how many times I've wrapped, well, ride nine horses um, for, you know, five years, just, just that alone. And you ride nine horses, five, six days a week, you know, let's round it up to 10. So what's that? You're wrapping, let's say 60 times, um, you know, 60 times a week, let's say, and 60 times four, because each horse has four legs. So that's 240 wraps in a week. So you get really good at it. So if you know somebody who's got horses, if you have somebody who's a vet tech, a certified licensed vet tech, um, your veterinarian can help you. The key is don't make them too tight and keep even pressure, and you always pull towards the back, not towards the front. You'll learn about that. But that's a great thing to do as a family also to teach the kids because it's the same bandaging technique, wrapping technique that would be typically for people. So, you know, those are all great, great things for you to have in your little, you know, bag of tricks. And if, God forbid, you know, you need that, it's going to be invaluable. Um, I remember with Wyatt, 
it, I was out at uh, Lake of the Ozarks in in uh, Missouri, one of those M states. Right? I was out there in in Missouri, and Wyatt stepped into I don't know how, but there was a wasp or hornet. I think it was probably hornets. Um, they were living in the ground, so I guess it was hornets. And he stepped into this. It must have been a nest. I've never heard that dog scream. I mean, with all he went through in his life, never. He was like crying. And bouncing around, and I, I, you know, I was using him for mobility, and I'm like, Wyatt, what's wrong? You're like, what's, you're like crazy, and I'm seeing, watching him picking his legs up, and there must have been a dozen at least, it, at any moment, stinging and stinging, stinging, stinging. Guess what I did not have with me? I did not have my Benadryl, because I drove with somebody there, and I have my kit in the car. Now, some of these medications and things, you can't let them get really hot, so in the winter, it's not so bad, or spring or fall. But in the summer, if you have some of these things there, the heat will degrade them, and it's almost like you don't even have it. So you want to have something in maybe in your purse or something because you wouldn't leave your purse or wherever your cell phone is, you wouldn't leave it in the car. But it's very handy to have. Um, you can also put it in something, uh, you know, something like a, an insulated bag, even if there's no ice or, or anything in it, it'll still protect it from all the heat. It typically will work for pretty well. So anyway, Wyatt steps into this hornet's nest, and now I'm kicking at these things and flailing, trying to get them off of him, and now they come after me. What did I not have? Benadryl and prednisone. So fortunately, somebody I knew from the barbecue restaurant out there um, drove and uh, it took him like five minutes each direction, longest 10 minutes of my life. Poor Wyatt was starting to have problems. He was panting. He was stressed. He was swelling. Um, I mean, I could have lost him. Um, there was no veterinarian for at least an hour away where I was, or I didn't know at the time if there was, but I looked it up and I couldn't find any veterinarian that was open. It was a Sunday, of course. And so this young man was kind enough to drive, and I threw four Benadryls into Wyatt, gave him some water, and probably saved his life. That's why I'm telling you this. There's so, you know, life is so ephemeral. It's just very ephemeral. It's temporary. It's fleeting, and it's very delicate, and you guys, I know you're listening, and I know you love your dogs probably more than you love your family members. Listen, with me, it's definitely true. Um, not my mom and dad, but, you know, let's face it, animals are just better. <laughs> they are. And, you know, we could learn a lot from them. So, you know, if you are able to have those little things in your kit, then at least you have some protection. You have some little bit of control, uh, control and some kind of a protection, like I said, for your babies so that if there is a problem that, you know, you're not going to be stuck and really upset that, like, oh, my gosh, my dog, you know, passed away from getting stung by hornets when if I had had that. And, if, and let me tell you, if I had had the Benadryl when it first happened, I would have even been better. The quicker it is, because all the histamines are going to be released, uh, so Benadryl's an antihistamine, it's not a bad idea to have stuff like that and talk to your own doctor. But I have all these kits, and I keep my dog safe. And, you know, when you have a lot of dogs, it's... It's really important. Um, you never know what's going to happen. So enough of the sadness. 
Um, let's go on to other allergies. Now, seasonal allergies. So let's say, for instance, you're going to be going to, I don't know, let's say Arizona, and you live in, let's say, I don't know, New York State. When you get out to Arizona and you bring your dog, there are things called like valley fever. You will never hear about that here because you don't need it, a, a vaccination against something that doesn't exist where you are. But when you're traveling somewhere else, it's really important to have that idea of, hey, I am going to go to this place. Let me get on the Internet and see what are the required vaccinations for a dog living in that location. I had my little Scottish Terrier Charcoal, who almost died. He had something Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which is tick-borne. Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, you don't get it in New Jersey. But we were up in New Hampshire, way, way up in New Hampshire as a kid. And I remember my dog was, he, he was just like, we thought he was going to die. We didn't know what was wrong with him. And we had a wonderful veterinarian named Dr. Badger. Yes, that was his real name. Like, my name is Wolf, and I'm a canine behaviorist and equine behaviorist. And our veterinarian's last name was Furlong. So, you know, we, there, sometimes I guess your name is a portender of what you're going to do. But anyway, Dr. Badger was the only veterinarian we went to, because we went to several, and he was the only one who said, have you gone on vacation anywhere lately? We were like, yeah, we were just up in New Hampshire for a week. He said, your dog has Rocky Mountain spotted fever. And that was before all the, you know, the snap tests and, you know, the five, you know, the different, um, you know, 40X and all that. He knew it because he used to vacation up in, I think, in Maine, lower Maine. So he knew what Rocky Mountain spotted fever was. But most people wouldn't know that. So check when you're going somewhere, even if you're only going for a week, check it out and make sure that your dog is protected. Make sure he's up to date on his heartworm pills. Because even though heartworm really in the Northeast, there's no heartworms. The mosquitoes would die in the winter. But, you know, first of all, things are starting to come north and things are kind of moving around. Uh, Whatever you want to blame it on, blame it on. Blame it on the politicians. Blame it on you know, somebody using a spray bottle, but whatever it is, protect your dog. So, for instance, um, if you have a dog who's lived its entire life up north, you might only have to worry about Lyme disease. You might not have to worry about heartworm. But heartworm pills and preventatives are also wonderful for another reason. Heartworm pills like Interceptor and Sentinel they will also cover uh, other types of parasites like worms, roundworms, hookworms, whipworms, and pinworms. They don't cover tapeworms, but that's where your veterinarian might recommend if they do find some kind of worms, you might you know, wind up having to give your dog medication, um, like there's brontal, there's panicure, there's strongid, that can kill those things. But it's kind of nice. For you who do have to, you know, use these things to understand, like your dog, it'll kill the worms. So it doesn't only kill heartworms, it will kill other types of worms. So it's kind of handy. So even though, you know, we don't really have heartworms up here, unless the dog came up from down south, 
Um, and if a lucky or unlucky mosquito happened to bite or, or draw blood from, you know, a dog that was ill, and then all of a sudden it decides to infect your dog, that's possible, of course. But what I'm saying to you is the heartworm pills as a preventative are actually quite handy because the heartworm pills are able to prevent other things or kill other types of worms. And then you have like heart guard. There's all different ones. Ellis, you know, there's, there's a lot of them um, out there. But check with your veterinarian and ask about the different types because sometimes some of them might be more appropriate for your dog than others. So that's with your heartworm. So, all right. Well, we, unfortunately, we're already at our break. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with some great stuff on From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. And welcome back to From Shelter Dog to Service Dog. Also with Janice Wolf. And we're going to have fun now. So we're going to, we talked earlier about allergies and things like that. Now what we're going to talk about is how do you get into a place with your service dog, with your fake ID? Okay, let's talk about IDs. Now, if you are flying, you may have, uh, if you've flown recently, you're claiming to have a service dog, you may have seen that there's a new form as of earlier this year um, that you have to complete and you have to verify and swear to it and it's federal law, you have to swear that your dog is a service dog, it's mitigating a disability, so it's basically a different verbiage, but very similar, and if you lie on that and you say that it's a service dog, not that they can ask you, but just know that if somebody does find that out, you can have some pretty, pretty significant uh, damages against you and different charges because you're lying and falsifying in order to uh, to access uh, some kind of privilege that you probably shouldn't be entitled to. But I'm going to assume that everyone listening, because you listen every week, and I'm going to assume that you're all trying to do the right thing. I, I do believe most of my audience does try to do the right thing. So let's talk about that. How about these fake IDs that you get online? And sometimes people fall for it. You might say, oh, wow, this is great. Look. I can get the ID in the patch and my dog is official. Um, no. The dog is not permitted to go anywhere because it's a quote-unquote service dog, registered, certified, whatever, because there's no such thing as either. What the dog is allowed to do is to accompany the person with disability anywhere that the person goes. So if you do not have a disability and consider yourself lucky if you don't, but let's say, you know, you say, I don't know, I'm healthy, I can walk, I don't need medication, um, I don't have autism, I don't have a child with issues, I really don't need the dog, I just want him to go with me. You guys buy those fake IDs. Do you know that by doing that, you are violating law because you are attesting and swearing by using that? It's almost like impersonating a law officer. It's, it could be, you could be really in trouble I've seen a few times where people have challenged it and, you know, you wind up with, you know, 
community service because you lied about it being a service dog. Consider yourself lucky if you don't need a service dog because I know for one, it is the biggest pain in the rear end to truck your 105-pound Rhodesian Ridgeback who had 308,000 airline miles and to trudge him with me everywhere. I loved him dearly. I mean, he was the love of my life, but God, it's a pain in the neck. And then it's people watching you and looking at you and trying to figure out what's wrong with you. And then it's, you can't relax, even though Wyatt was perfect and all my dogs are, my service dogs are perfect. Even my dogs that aren't service dogs are perfect. But, you know, you got to, oh, got to take the dog out. You can't stay in bed late, although Wyatt would stay in bed with me and so will my other guys. But for most dogs, it limits you. How about if you want to go in the pool? Well, my dogs actually were properly trained and were amazing. So if I went in the pool, I would lay down the towel by the pool and I would jump in the pool. And because I have Rhodesian Ridgebacks, they typically, right, Jody, they don't like to go in water. So if they don't like to go in water, I'm pretty safe they're not, they're not going to be jumping into the hot tub or jumping into the swimming pool. But how about if you don't have that? Well, then you leave your service dog, quote unquote, in your room. Now, if you leave your service dog, quote unquote, in your room, by very definition, it's not your service dog because the service dog needs to be with you 24-7. So unless your dog is injured or sick, if you are telling me, oh, I can go places without my service dog, well, that's pretty stupid because you could, if you have a legitimate need, for instance, seizures, blood sugar, uh, mobility challenges, vertigo, dizziness, whatever, if you're walking around without that dog for five hours or for two weeks, maybe you didn't really need him that much and maybe you don't have a disability. So it's a really more, um, not a game, but it's really, do you need that? And you have to consider that. Let's say you go down the shore or you're going to Florida, you're going on a cruise somewhere, you're going to be in a hot area, you're going to the Mediterranean, you're going to, you know, let's say California, SoCal, or, you know, somewhere in Texas that's super hot. You're dragging your dog and it's a very, very big taxing thing for your dog to be in extreme heat, especially if it's a dog like a shepherd or, you know, a newfie or something that has a lot of hair. Now, yes, some dogs have the hair and it can actually protect them from the heat, but most of the time they're going to be the ones who are going to overheat. Your dog can die. So I would think long and hard before you decide to drag your dog around, unless, of course, it is a legitimate service dog. And then those of you who have legitimate service dogs, which I'm going to assume is all of you, if you have a legitimate service dog, your dog could be shaved, not the whole dog, but if it's a breed, let's say a German Shepherd, you want to keep the hair long, you can shave a strip from its sternum, which is the bottom, the breastbone. Um, it's like what holds your ribs together, but not at the chest, but where it starts coming between the elbows, that portion, and you can shave it like a two to three inch strip, um, and then you just like, kind of buzz it. And then the dog can lay on a, a cool mat, like on a damp um, chamois cloth or on a damp towel, and it will actually absorb or, or be able to dissipate the heat through that area. Remember, dogs can only sweat through actually the little areas, not the pads of their feet, but the little unhairy spot between. They can uh, exchange some little bit of sweat there, um, and they, it's really by panting. 
So that's why brachiocephalus dogs, if you have like a pug or a French bulldog or a boxer, they have a very short snout. And most of where your dog is able to pant from and cool itself is the length of the snout, the length of the alimentary canal is really, really important. So the longer it is, the better. So like, for instance, uh, let's say something like a horse. A horse in the winter can warm all the air coming into it. So it can be out in bitter cold. It's got the hair to keep it nice, but it's not inhaling ice cold air because they have a very, very long neck and it's full of muscle. And it's like almost as if the air coming in is being superheated by their trachea and their whole digestive tract and their whole, you know, all the, the tubes in there so that when they're inhaling, it's not actually cold. Now, think about a dog who has a very short snout, and especially if it's a smaller dog and they don't have big airways, it's like they're inhaling hot air, but they're also exhaling hot air. And they don't have a way to cool themselves properly other than panting. And panting is not always enough. That's why a great thing to do if you have your service dog or if you just have your pet is take a damp cloth or damp paper towel, not dripping wet, but a damp paper towel or damp cloth and put it on the outside of the ears, not the inside of the ears. You don't want it going into the inside of the ears. And put on the outside of the ears. You can use that on the armpit of the dog. You can use it um, on the inside, the back legs uh, is another place that you can cool them down. And again, don't give them ice cold water. Remember the Black Beauty story. You can give them just cool water um, and small amounts of it. So if, let's say, you have a dog who's getting overheated, make sure he's hydrated. Give him, let's say if if it's a medium-sized 30, 40-pound dog, give him a half a cup of water you know, cool water, not cold water. Let them kind of go with that for a little bit. Give them another, you know, maybe half a cup. Don't give him, you know, a gallon of water of ice cold water thinking that you're doing something good because you're going to shut down It's too much cold and you don't, you have to bring them their temperature up or down slowly. If you bring it up too quickly or down too quickly, you can really cause some uh, not happy events in their health. And that's definitely not something that, that you want to do. Um, again, so we were talking about service dogs. There are different kinds of vests. Um, you know, by law, you don't need to have a service vest. Uh, in Merlin's kids, we do require that people have a service vest that are people. But that being said, there are different kinds of service vests that we allow, including kind of open ones that are made of like fishnet stockings, if you would. Um, but that they're, they're, much less um, dense. They don't have a lot of insulation. So they're not, it's not like wearing, you know, a bulletproof vest in the summer. And so there are things like that that you can do. Make sure that you always have your own water and you don't leave it in the car so it gets hot. They have some really cool little things like that. And you can always buy a bottle of water and carry it with you. It doesn't have to be cold. It just has to be cool or tepid. Now, obviously not hot, hot, but if in a pinch and you don't have water for your dog, a couple of drips here and there is, you know, to, to get them uh, going is fine. But, you know, you don't want to give a dog who's, you know, got heat stroke hot water either because you don't want to give them more things that are going to make them hotter. 
Um, the best thing to do if you do have your dog and you have a service vest on is like you can stop and go into the shade for a little bit and let the dog be kind of just comforted and cool down a little bit. And then you can put his vest back on and keep going. The other part of that is you can keep his vest over your shoulder or in a bag and then only use the service vest unless you need it for mobility um, or the organization that trained the dog, if you have a reputable one, hopefully. Um, if they uh, Sometimes they'll allow you to go places without the vest, but I know that in the hot summer, I have also taken the service vest off my dog um, when I'm not using them for mobility. And, uh, you know, then when we go into a store or into a place, which is by definition generally cooler, but then we go in and now it's not a big problem because, you know, we just throw the vest back on. Um, but it, these fake cards, and this is really what I want to get into, the fake cards, these IDs are somebody printing them up in their basement. They are not legitimate. There is absolutely no validity to them. They print something on the back, a lot of these places, that says Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990 prohibits discrimination uh, to this service dog team. Yeah, it, it's true, but if you don't have a disability that is mitigated by the dog, you are not protected under ADA, and neither is your dog. So if you're going to do it, then if you're going to fake it, make your own ID. Don't give these charlatans, you know, $50, $100, $20, whatever it is, for a fake ID that costs them pennies. They are ripping you off. And what it does, and those of you who have legitimate service dogs, which is a fair number of you, I'm sure, you know that we are not required to produce or show any kind of ID via ADA. So when you go in with your fake ID and Joe Schmo goes in with her his fake ID and, you know, Melinda goes in with her fake ID, then one of our people goes in with no ID. What does the place think? They go, oh, well, you can't come in here. Everybody else shows their ID. Right, because they're all fakers. You cannot be requested or required to produce ID. This is all bogus. Every single site that gives you a fake ID, and especially they say there's one of them. I couldn't even believe it. If your service dog appears to be aggressive, <clears throat> consider using a muzzle. Or my favorite beyond that one is the service dogs with shock collar and a prong collar on. Because a service dog for a child or for a, an injured or in, you know convalescing person or a person with disability should always have a shock collar and a prong collar on, yanking and pulling them, right? Because they're so under control. So it's absolutely ridiculous and asinine. So if you're going to get an ID of any sort, you can ask the organization, although I know we will not do that, but we will give, we, the only time we give an ID is for a handler who is going to be taking a dog into public location because it is not their service dog. Now, some of the states, most of the states have something. I know New Jersey has the New Jersey Service Dog Act. I know New York has New York Service Dog Act. What that means, it doesn't protect you as the person with the disability. It protects the dog who is in training to mitigate someone else's disability or supposedly, apparently, could be yours as well. But 
What that's for is basically so that we can take a dog or a reputable trainer, and there's not too many trainers who actually know how to train service dogs. You need to find somebody who specializes in service dogs, sometimes a really good behaviorist, not a local obedience trainer claiming to be a behaviorist, but sometimes there are some good behaviorists out there who know how to train service dogs. We can actually help you if anybody wants to call. You can call our 800 number, 800-855-449-9288. You can call 1-800, I'm sorry, 1-855-HI, Wyatt, and we will help you out with that, 855-449-9288. And in this way, we can help you, and you can even take classes. We do offer classes to help people who want to train their own dogs to become service dogs. You do have to have the dog evaluated by one of our people so we know that the dog has talent and you're not wasting your time and money and the dog isn't going to be aggressive or fearful or have major behavioral issues. If it does have some behavioral issues, we can fix it. But chances are if your dog is you know, terrified of children and you say, oh, I just won't be near children. Yeah, because there's no toddlers at the mall on a Saturday afternoon. You're right. They're not going to just walk up and pet your dog and your dog's going to take their face off like happened with that dog on Southwest or the dog on Delta or the dog on, I mean, all the uh, airlines have had that happen. So in order to prevent that from happening to you, you want to make sure you're doing the right thing. And if you have a dog and you need a service dog and your dog is not going to be a good candidate to be a service dog, sometimes the best thing to do is get an agency like some of the ones we recommend um, that, and our organization, of course, that can actually get you a dog that is already trained. Now, I know with Merlin's kids, we, I believe, are still the only agency that you don't have at least a three to five year wait, and you're not spending a ridiculous amount of money to get garbage, um, or if you even get a dog. But I know with us, we have 15 to 20 dogs that are either ready now or we'll be ready in the next two to three months. So I think we have 12, I believe, that are literally ready. So when we have new applicants, our applicants don't have to wait for anything other than the 10 to 12-week training for the humans, and then obviously bonding uh, plus an additional 40 hours of hands-on training, and then you're kind of on probation for a year. But you learn everything. And yes, it's a process and it is life altering. It's nothing short of a miracle. However, there are too many people out there, too many fake organizations, fake people, well, real people faking the fact that they know what to do. And then you have an ill-behaved dog that is not trained, that is not mitigating your disability or that you can't take in because it's anxious or fearful or aggressive. And now you paid somebody for garbage And it might be, you might love the dog and it's not a garbage dog, but it's got to be able to mitigate your disability. So just because you're disabled um, or have a disability does not mean you can bring your family pet in. And I have a a kind of a funny one. It's not funny, but it's funny. Um, I was actually miraculously at an airport. Not that I've ever been at an airport a million times. And there was a woman there with a Yorkie sitting in her lap. She was in a wheelchair and she was legally blind. And they asked her questions about the dog because it was non-traditional. Now, I've trained several Yorkies and a lot of non-traditional service dogs, um, but this particular Yorkie was 
yapping and barking and trying to bite people and lunging and, you know, just very aggressive. And she said, you can't keep me from bringing my dog. He's my service dog. And um, the person in charge asked, is this your service dog required because of a disability? She said, yes, he is. And he said, okay, what tasks or jobs is the dog trained to perform? And she goes, he's my guide dog. And he says, ma'am, you're in a wheelchair. <laughs> you're being pushed. Um, the dog can't mitigate that. Just, you know, he, he said it nicely, but he basically said, it's your pet. You're, you're in a wheelchair. People are pushing you around. You can't walk. You're, that is not mitigating a disability. Now, if she had said the dog is checking my blood sugar or that I'm diabetic or I have seizures, well, that would be something that the dog could have been trained to do, but it didn't match. And that doesn't happen often. That's very rare that that happens. But just because you have a disability doesn't mean that you can take the dog with you everywhere because it has to mitigate or lessen the severity of the disability or help you to perform as a, you know, what we call neurotypical, somebody without a disability, um, better. So those are the kind of interesting things that, you know, seem to come up. And uh, I don't know, uh, sometimes things are just, I don't know, truth stranger than fiction, but that was a, kind of a weird one. Well, you know, it's just crazy how time flies when you're having fun. But we will definitely be having more, much, much more uh, with different types of behavioral issues that are uh, very common. I think next week we're going to probably be talking about some things that the uh, emails that come in. Uh, by the way, if you do wish to email, you can email us at uh, K, the letter K, the number nine, behaviorists, with an S, behaviorists, at gmail.com. And we will be able to help you, K9, behaviorists, with an S at the end. And uh, we can take your questions. We'll use them online. We are also happy to answer questions if anybody does want to train their own dog and have an evaluation. If you get stuck and you need to have a little bit of help understanding the ADA, we can help you with that as well. We're happy to help anybody who is in legitimate need of a service dog or of assistance in procuring or training a service dog. We're happy to be there for everybody. So I hope everybody has a wonderful, happy, healthy weekend. It's going to be gorgeous this weekend. And I wish everybody just the absolute best that life has to offer. Take good care of your dog. Don't bring them out and leave them outside too long in the heat. And be careful also of parking lots with the macadams that your dog's feet are not going to get burned. Have yourself a wonderful, wonderful weekend. God bless.